Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you tonight. I, I need to start off by doing something. I need, to, uh, I need to clear up any misunderstanding that may have occurred last weekend. Uh, I described to you my, my current disdain for the weather. And, um, and I used a phrase that I want to make sure you're very clear about. I said, it is very damp weather. <laughs> damp weather. Uh, some thought I said something else. Now... Some of us may think that about the weather, but I did not say that. I said, damp. Even our sound guy, Steve, wondered. And I thought, oh my gosh, if the sound guy thinks that, then we may all be in trouble. He texts me and he said, you need not curse when you preach. So I want to make sure that everybody's very clear on that, okay? So are we all straight? No one's offended, okay? I want to make sure everybody's okay. We do. Well, tonight's a great night because we're going to continue our series, uh, Returning to Your First Love. What I want you to do right now is open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to look at John chapter 1 together, and there's a good reason we want to do that is because, as we've explained before, John, out of all the gospel writers, really describes for us that first love relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, That is his primary purpose. His, His passion is to tell you about how much he loves Jesus. And so he does it in a very descriptful way. He does it in a very... uh, Uh, accurate way when he describes Jesus Christ. And so it's an exciting thing. Well, I love to tell stories like the one I'm about to tell you. His name was uh, Sherwood Anderson, and you've probably never heard of his name before, unless you are familiar with 20th century American authors. People like Sherwood spent little time in the public eye, and they, they did that because they didn't want to promote themselves. They were more interested in promoting others. In fact, that's what they loved to do, taking young, aspiring writers under their wings, giving them an opportunity to gain from his wisdom, from his expertise. And he would introduce them to his network of associates in, uh, in the publishing world. And soon, the younger men were writing on their own. And even though you may have never heard of Anderson's name, you might recognize some of those aspiring students under him. Students like Ernest Hemingway and Thomas Wolfe and John Steinbeck. Those are just a few who went, they went on to fame in the world of literature. His commitment to promote others above himself brought three of his students the Nobel Prize, four others the Pulitzer Prize for literature. It was this kind of, really, this kind of humility, this kind of self-sacrifice that caught the attention of someone else as well. It caught the attention of the gospel writer John when he looked at John the Baptist. He understood that there was something about John the Baptist that was different than all the other preachers, all the other individuals that had come along saying either they were the Messiah or the Messiah was coming. John the Baptist was a very humble individual. What I want to read with you tonight, what I want to read all together is this passage that speaks about John the Baptist. It's John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42, and it goes like this. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. He said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when, Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus passing by again. And he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you guys want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who'd followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. In other translations, it also tells you that this name, Cephas, really means stone or rock. And so when you read it, you have to have that kind of understanding because of what Jesus is wanting to accomplish here. Jesus gives all of us everything that we need for a fresh start. And that's one of the things you recognize in the writings of John. That he's wanting people to understand this, again, first love relationship. He wants people to have a fresh start in this relationship. He wants them to know that there's a new beginning in him. And if you're here tonight and you need a fresh start, you need a new beginning, this is a great place to go right here. I want to tell you a few things that I see out of this passage. A few things, if you'd like, you can write them down. But first, I want you to realize that Jesus removes our sin. John was so excited about that. He wanted to communicate that to you, and he did so through what John the Baptist had said. In verse 29, if you remember, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And when you read that, many may ask the question, well, what does that really mean? What does it mean when that term is used concerning Jesus? Well, John is talking about what's going on in the temple in Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. And when he was talking to the Jewish community and that culture, they would have understood what he was saying. They would have had some images. They would have had some background through the Old Testament about what he was saying. So they weren't just absent that this was just something that was being stated that was a random statement. Jesus, the Lamb of God. This was a very meaningful statement. Every morning, every evening, a lamb, a lamb without blemish was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And it's explained in Exodus chapter 29. This sacrifice was made every day until the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. Now John was saying Jesus is our Savior. He's he's saying that Jesus is our Savior, not only our Messiah, 
But he's saying that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That he's our great Savior. He's the Lamb of God. That he is our complete Savior because he takes away sin. That he's the Almighty Savior because he takes away the sin of the world. And that he's our right now Savior because he takes away present tense. It's amazing because anyone can come to him at any time, any place. John is communicating that. Listen, the death of Jesus is more than a historical event. It's more than just a Jewish tragedy. The death of Jesus made possible the salvation of this whole world. So when Jesus died, we have to think about this. When he died on the cross, the price for your sins, the price for my sins was absolutely paid for. It was taken care of. That when he did that, when you consider your sin, you need to know that it's been taken away. That it's all been forgiven because of what he's done. The same person that wrote what we just read wrote something else in one of his epistles. In 1 John 2, 2, he says, He is the anointing sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. This is really the fulfillment of an answer a long time ago that Abraham had given to Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. In verses 7 and 8, it says this, And Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, and he said this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. What you're reading there early on in the writings of the Bible, in the book of Genesis chapter 22, is a prophetic foresight. It's, a, it's looking ahead. It's a, it's a foreshadowing of a Savior that's going to come, a Messiah that's going to come. And you see that here in this passage of Scripture. John is telling us that Jesus is the Lamb of God that has dealt with my sin so thoroughly, so completely, And sometimes we have to be reminded of what all that really means. How thoroughly was my sin really dealt with? You know, when it comes to my sin, I want to know. When it has to do with how I live out life and how I relate to God, I want to know how thoroughly did God deal with this? There are a few ways that I think about this. Number one, he's removed us from our sins, that he's totally removed us from our sins. That is what I mean when I say that he's removed us. He doesn't just save us from the results of sin in our lives. That's really not salvation from sin. That's salvation from the judgment of sin. He came to remove me from the bondage. He came to remove me from the control of sin in my life. He got me out of harm's way. The the psalmist says this, he removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. He got me out of harm's way. Several years ago, my sons and I went camping up on Mount Hood and we took a little day trip. We went from our campsite and we headed down to a river. And on the way down to the river, unbeknownst to us, we came across and actually slid across and bumped into a hornet's nest. Those hornets didn't like us being there. We were in their territory. They were all around and pretty soon they were everywhere. The first thing that I thought about doing is I need to get my sons removed from here. We need to get out of the vicinity where these hornets are right now. We need to get out of the way. 
So I grabbed one of my sons. He was still young enough. I put him under my arm. My other son, I said, you go ahead of me and run as fast as you can on that log. And he started running, and I had one son under my arm, and we just ran. I mean, we ran as fast as we could run. And the reason we did that is because I loved those boys, and I didn't want them to be stung. I didn't want them to be hurt. I wanted to get them away from harm. I removed them from the harm. And that's exactly what the Lord has done for you. That what he's done is he's carried you away from that sin. He's removed you. He's taken you out of harm's way. That's a wonderful thing when you think about how he's dealt with us and how thoroughly he's dealt with us. And that's what I think about when I think about him removing me from the sin that's in my life and the sin that's even in the world. And the second thing is Jesus not only removed me from sin, but he took my place as a sinner. Now, now that provokes some thought. He became sin for me. The one without sin became sin. This is beyond comprehension. I don't even know how to explain that altogether. All I know is I want to receive that. I want to accept that kind of forgiveness in my own life. Here's something else. The Lamb of God protects me from the sin of the world. He really does. Along with removing me from my sin and taking my place as a sinner, Jesus, the Lamb of God, protects me from the sin of this world. Now, this has always meant a great deal to me. It really has, especially uh, parents, if you're out there, you, you know how much we love our kids. And so when you think about this, you have to realize, and this has probably meant more to me since I've been a father and now a grandfather, I want to tell you why it means so much to me. Again, it goes back to the Old Testament principle. It's found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 7. It's the place and the story where God tells Moses that you guys are going to get out of this place of bondage. You're going, to, you're going to be free from the bondage of Egypt and you need to get out. But the thing that I want you to make sure you do is I want to make sure that you take the blood of a lamb and put it on your doorpost so that when the death angel passes that you'll experience no harm, that you'll be covered. And when I think of what Jesus has done for you and me, I think about this, that this would ensure our safety, this would ensure our salvation. Do you see how thoroughly Jesus has taken care of this problem for us? You know, I know sometimes we think, well, boy, he may do that for everyone else, but has he really done it for me? The answer is yes. The answer is yes if you've done this. If you have called on the name of the Lord and you've experienced his salvation, the Bible says all who call on his name will be saved. All. And what I need to be saved from certainly is sin in my life. Romans 3, 24 and 25 says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You see, what we know here is that God, he dealt with our sin, he dealt with your and my sin very thoroughly and absolutely, and I'm so thankful for that. Because that leads me really to the second way that Jesus gives all of us that, that new life and how he did it and how he does it for us. He gives you power to live. 
That's the second thing you need to know when you read this passage of Scripture. And it says that much in verses 32 and 33 of what we've just read. It says this. It says, Then John gave his testimony. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, God provided a way to live this life. He says, here it is. I'm giving you opportunity. I'm taking care of your sin. But I also want you to know that I'm giving you power to live it out every single day. And that power comes through the Holy Spirit. The Greek word that translates baptize means to dip or to submerge. And the picture you would have back then if you were reading this passage or listening to someone teach this it's, it's, it's imagery that you just, just is burned on your mind because it's, it's in ancient Greece. It was used, this word was used to describe clothes being dipped into dye and that when you dip this into dye, it wasn't just dipping it in and pulling it out, but when you put it into dye, it was being dyed that particular color, whatever that was, from the inside out and the outside in. It was a thorough work. You were being totally, that piece of clothing or that piece of material was being totally submerged. There was no way that any part of it could get, be untouched. And so when you hear the word baptize, you need to know it's being totally submerged. And there's another way that this word was also used. It was used to describe someone who was completely under the influence. That when John said that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, he's saying that if you invite Jesus into your life, that Jesus will fill you with God's Spirit in such a way that takes control of your life. Listen, we... We need more than just forgiveness. We need more than a clean slate. We need the power to live in a first love relationship with God. And by what John the Baptist is telling us, that John the Apostle is recording for us, is that's been provided. That the Holy Spirit is our source of power and that he gives you the strength to live the holy life that he's called you to live. Here's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. That if you want to experience that power that you need in life, it comes through the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. There's more instruction that goes into the New Testament. I think particularly of Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says, listen, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Every single day, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so you're being invited today by God's Spirit to be filled And if you haven't received, accepted, embraced that invitation, do that tonight. Do that before you go. Just say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I need to be filled. I need to be saturated. I need to be submerged. I don't want any part of my life to be untouched by your spirit. I want it all to be touched by your spirit. Here's another way that I think Jesus gives us all the things that we need for our new life in him is that Jesus will never leave you. He will always be there. 
When you read verses 35 through 39, uh, you pick that up, and I want to read it to you and then explain a little bit of what I think it means here. It says, The next day that John was there with, the two, with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? And come, he said, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. Jesus offers us some amazing things here. And I want you to do something. Just imagine for just a moment that your goal is to become physically fit. And people are talking a lot about this at the beginning of the year. We've heard people talk about their resolutions, whether you like the name or not, or the description or not. There's goals that people are setting. And there are probably people in here, like myself, who want to establish physical goals and spiritual goals and financial goals. And that's what we want, that's what we want to talk about, especially this time of year. But becoming physically fit is one of those things. But instead of reading about fitness, you decide to learn about health from someone who's experienced it firsthand. Last night we were with a group of young adults and they brought this name up and it's a name that they still think about. It's kind of surprised me when it has to do with physical fitness. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, he, he used to be on the president's council for fitness. And so instead of having Arnold tell you how to get in shape, what if you could go around and follow him through the day? What if every day for whatever period of time it took, you just followed him through the day and you ate what he ate? You didn't eat what he didn't eat. You lifted the weights that he... Nah, you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> he would lift 500 pounds and maybe we could get 100 pounds up. And that's okay, but we're learning something. And he's teaching us. He's talking to you because you're with him. And there's an influence. When he rests, you rest. You do whatever he does. You you don't do what he doesn't do. How long do you think it would take before the -the round-the-clock therapy could take effect in your life? That you found yourself getting in great physical shape. Maybe a few weeks. Maybe it'd take a few months. But eventually, eventually you'd see results. And the reason you'd see results isn't because of somebody reading a book to you or somebody telling you how to do it. But the reason you'd see results is because you followed somebody who did it very well. You see, what Jesus did for us is he gave us that wonderful opportunity to follow him. And the thing that we need to be sure of is that he will never leave us. The Bible says he will never forsake us. In fact, Jesus was so committed to this. He talked about it all the time. Jesus offers us this same opportunity. We can live around the clock in his presence. And what John does is that he shows us an around the clock picture of Jesus Christ. And in fact, all the gospel writers portray this around the clock Jesus kind of experience beginning with the day in prayer in Mark chapter 1, eating with his friends in Luke chapter 19. Going to the synagogue on Sabbath, and you read about that in Mark chapter 6. Traveling from one place to another in Luke chapter 8. Visiting Peter's home in Matthew chapter 8. And then going to a wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. And on and on and on. It was all about the experience.
experience, experiencing the life of Jesus and letting him influence you and forging your character. In each event, Jesus brought this wonderful invitation to a first love relationship with him and he does the same for us today. He really does. Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples knew that he would always be there. He wanted to make sure that they understood that. So much so that before he left this planet, some of the last words that he spoke were securing, I think, and bringing peace to the heart of those disciples. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said this. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And and then he left. He's wanting people to know, he's wanting us to know, his disciples to know that he would always be with us. And I think the last thought that I have tonight about what Jesus gives us for our new life is Jesus knows us by a new name. In John chapter 1 verse 42, that last verse that we read, it's Jesus being introduced to Andrew's brother at the time his name was Simon. And Jesus saw him and immediately Jesus looks at him and changes his name. (laughs) That's pretty bold. You meet somebody and say, you're not really Hank, you're Frank. I'm going to flip it around on you, you know. I'm going to name that he was used to, a name that he grew up with, a name that people called him and all of a sudden he's not that name anymore. And it doesn't appear that he really had a problem with it. Because Jesus said, listen, you're not Simon anymore. You're not the the son of John, you're not going to be known that way. You're going to be known as Peter, Cephas, the rock. I'm changing your name. And there's an amazing story, I think, that goes with this for all of us, something to learn, a lesson to learn, that Jesus knows the best names for us because he's created us. Jesus knows the best names for us because he's the one who's wired us in. He's the one who knows us from top to bottom. He's the one that knows us from the inside out. He knows everything about us. So if anyone's qualified to change your name, to give you a new name, it's him. It's Jesus. When Annette was pregnant with Rebecca, we asked the boys, what do you want your new baby to be called? They thought for a minute, one of them looked down, and he looked up with kind of a smirk on his face, and he says, I know. We said, what is it? And he said, pizza. (laughs) Man, you could not live that one down. You'd get beat up every day at school if you were called pizza, or get bit. (laughs) We didn't go with a name. You know, pizza, Rebecca. We, We went with Rebecca. And it was... The fact that he just wasn't qualified. You know, that, that's why you want someone who's really qualified if they're going to give you a name because you're going to live with that. You're going to live with that name. We live with the names that are given us. And here, what Jesus does with Simon is he says, you're no longer Simon, but you are Peter the Rock. It's interesting because before Peter met Jesus, he was just Simon the fisherman. And after he met Jesus, he was Peter the rock. Before, he was just a businessman. After, he became a world changer. Peter went from being impulsive. He went from being hot-headed and really prejudiced to becoming a strong, dynamic leader. This change didn't take place overnight, and we have to remember that. Because sometimes we think that it's all going to happen at once. 
There are wonderful things that can happen immediately. There are great things that can take place in your life in a split second. But typically when it comes to the development of your character in relationship to Jesus Christ, it takes a while. There are things that you have to get worked out. And that was certainly true about Peter. Jesus called him this name and he says, now we're going to go on the journey. And this name will be lived out in your life. And I think he does that with us. This change Again, didn't take place overnight. It took time. But most of all, it took the power of Jesus in his life. You know, I don't know what you have been calling yourself. I don't know what you called yourself today. You know, I don't know the names you use or the words you use. I said damp weather last week. I don't know what, you know. But people have names for themselves that aren't nice. But those are not the names that you've been given by Jesus. Those are far from the names you've been given by our Lord. You know, maybe you've given your name or the label and you've labeled yourself as a sinner or a failure or a loser. But God has given you a new name. And I hope that is pressed in. I hope that you receive that, you accept that tonight. Jesus knows your potential. He knows that you can live up to your new name. He knows that. Maybe there's a quality. There's a gift that God has given you and he wants that to come to fruition. He wants that to grow in your life. You have to give him permission to do that. Sometimes there's hurt and there's pain and there's disappointment. There's discouragement. All those things that life brings that inhibits us from really finding out, really discovering the potential that God has put in us. And I can say this, it's not someone else. I mean, we want it to be that way. We, we try to make it that way. Well, I'm this way because, you know, my mom, my dad, my friend, my husband, my wife, I don't know. But it's usually someone else. Listen, it's not someone else, it's us. And what we want to, what we need to do is relinquish that over to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to give this to you because I want to live up to the potential that you've brought to my life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's really our theme verse here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. I love that. I love that passage of scripture. I do. I think it's one of the best. It's one of my favorite teacher was asking her students what they wanted to be when they grew up. Some said, I want to be a baseball player. Others said, a police officer. Others said, well, I want to be a ballerina. I mean, the list went on and on. And they were all kind of the typical answers. But when she got to one little boy, he said, I want to be possible. Teacher said, well, what do you mean, possible? And he said, well, my mom always tells me I'm impossible, so when I grow up, I want to become possible. (laughs) You know, that hits home sometimes, I think, because guess what? You can become possible. You may have been in a past or in things that took place in your history where you were labeled impossible. Maybe you even labeled yourself that. 
Maybe you've said, well, I've sinned so much, I've messed up my life so much that I'm impossible. But God says that's not true, that you're possible and that he wants to give you a new beginning, a new start. And he has the way of doing that. He gives you everything that you need to succeed in life. He gives you a new name. He gives you a new nature, a clean slate, the power to live a new life. And when you need a second chance, God offers one to you. He gives everyone in this room a second chance. And he will give everything you need to have a first love relationship with him. That's a promise. That's what he promises you and me. I'm going to ask that you do this. If you just bow your heads for a moment, if you would, and... I'm going to invite our worship team forward and we're going to continue to worship the Lord in just a moment. But before we do, let me pray. Let me ask the Lord just to touch your life because he wants to continue to do something. Maybe he's ignited something or sparked something in your heart and in your mind in the last, oh, 20 minutes, something that was said. Well, he wants that thought, that, that idea, that, 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 that inspiration to continue to grow. And so he's going to ask that that take place. So let him. Give him permission to do that. Would you do that? Just a moment, I'm going to ask that after I pray that you would just take some time and think about that. That your attention would even be drawn up here. And there would be a story, a story you're going to see right now in just a moment about first love relationship. Let the Lord bring that to your life. Let him cultivate that in you. Father, we want to thank you today for the wonderful work of your Holy Spirit. That you would touch us now as we continue to worship you. You would do a wonderful work in our life. Thank you for never leaving us, never forsaking us, but always keeping us. That is your promise. Lord, we come to you. You are the author and you're the finisher of our faith. Thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.